And we welcome you into another edition of Gateway to Baseball Heaven. I'm your host, Dana Shoptaw, C70 is about at C70 on Twitter with me. Always Tara Nichols from Birds on the Black and at Tara Wellman on Twitter. Coming to you Sunday night, as we typically do, as the calendar has flipped over to August. Trading deadline is behind the Cardinals um, and Tara... I, it must. Uh, it feels like it snuck up on them because, and they just kind of did some last minute, you know, scribbling and turned something in. Because, given all the drama that was going around baseball, um, it really just didn't hit St. Louis that much. Yeah, it's like that test that you take that you didn't realize had an essay portion, and so you just make some stuff up, and then when you get it back, the the comments are like, "Well, it's not." wrong <laughs> but it's it's not it's not actually right so um yeah weird a uh, couple of little almost footnote trades for the cardinals in the midst of the flurry of activity particularly centering around the nationals and the cubs who may have redefined fire sale Ooh. i'm not sure it's it's one of the most extraordinary cases of no, literally everything must go <laughs> that I've seen uh, in quite a while, at least. So for the Cardinals, and I was just telling you before we started recording, the, the best way I can describe it is that I have MLB news alerts set up on my phone. And so I was getting trade updates all day, notifications about this possibility and this rumor and this confirmed and this official. And throughout that day, I it, you know, my phone was pretty much every couple of minutes buzzing or chirping or whatever it was doing. And uh, uh, all of that, I had to go look for the Cardinals moves because I saw somebody mention something on Twitter vaguely suggesting that the Cardinals had done something. Not one, not one alert from MLB that was like, Hey, the team that you actually follow has done something. It was mostly like, nobody cares. Here's what really happened. And um, that's kind of, I think how most people see that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's difficult not to, I mean, now granted, as you pointed out, we're not, Cubs fans and we're not Nationals fans so we didn't have to see the team get dismantled in front of our eyes which is something I <laughs> guess um, I'm sure you have had some discussions about at least the part of that uh, over the last couple of days um, but yeah I mean you bring in John Lester who is we're talking about former Cubs a person that has tormented the Cardinals for so long and now probably will torment them again in a totally different way. Um, and J.A. Happ, or J. Happ, um, that um, both of which would have been fairly interesting and maybe even exciting acquisitions in 2012, um, but not so much here. And it really feels like, you know, look, we, we all knew this was a very big hole that the Cardinals had dug themselves in. It was very unlikely that they were going to dig themselves out, but it really feels like, well, it's like that meme. Tell me, tell me that you're giving up on the season without telling me you're giving up on the season. (laughs) That kind of feels like what it was to do this. It was like, okay, we want to protect Johan Oviedo. We want to let him play in Memphis. We need some arms to do that. And these guys have arms. So we'll do this. <laughs> um, because, it, it's, I mean, now, 
you know, I'm writing, I'm writing up a series preview uh, right now. And, you know, it is fair to point out that we kind of had some of the same feelings about Wade LeBlanc when he came over and LeBlanc has been serviceable. I mean, he's your third starter right now, which is sad, but um, he's not been that bad. So maybe there's something they can tap into with these guys, but you know, honestly, for the fact that innings eater was being tossed around, these guys hardly ever go five innings. It's it's really <laughs> kind of, what are we getting here? Well, I think what we're getting here is the quote from John Mozeliak that was shared the next day, which is, they're just trying to survive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're just trying to get through 162, which uh, is maybe a, a level of brutal honesty that we're not used to from a front office in a position like the Cardinals are in, I think it's also a a pretty significant, um, I don't even know the the right word, but it's almost a a condemnation of the season to Mm. say like, Hey, this isn't what we thought we were getting. So um, we're here. We're not going to totally blow it up, but we're also just going to try to get to the end. And, to be fair, I didn't listen to the entirety of the, the comments that he made or, you know, I, I wasn't present in the room to know if there was any additional context given. But that's a, sort of a, a depressing reality if you're a Cardinals fan, not only because you just watch the team basically sit by and watch all of baseball, you know, <laughs> flip flop players all over the place, uh, but because you also just heard the president of baseball operations say (laughs) we're just trying to get to the end of the year man Mm -hmm. and that's not a particularly motivating phrase uh, or or sentiment i should say to fans i can't imagine it's a particularly motivating sentiment to the players either we've talked about that you know again you could probably play back pieces of our conversation around the trade deadline for the last three years and they would all be relevant Mm -hmm. um because there's some level of this conversation every time, which is what does it do for the morale of the players? If you bring in somebody that they know is going to be a difference maker. Now were the Cardinals in a position to make that play. I don't know. And I think that's a separate conversation because I think, I think there's some real um, possibilities that they would not have had the pieces to Mm. move to get back that kind of return that we saw in some of these other places. And we did see the the return for a lot of the big name guys was significant. So it's not like, it's not like the Nolan Arenado deal where you walk away from it going, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. They gave you that for what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's in a positive direction. So I get that. And I think that's a, a separate part of this conversation a conversation that I've had with um, you know, even Kyle Reese on the minor league front. I, we talked about it a bit on um, the a podcast conversation that I did um, with Ben Cerruti that this Cardinal system, the organization as a whole doesn't have the prestige that it did a handful of years ago in terms of being able to trade from surplus at almost every position and get something back in return, even if we were never particularly impressed <laughs> with the return, um, you know, you had those options available to you, which I think made it a little frustrating is that, look, the last couple of years when we would say, okay, you trade these outfielders when you have no other option, you literally have to give them away because mm-hmm. there's nowhere for them to play. There's nowhere on your roster for them to go, but you could have traded them a year and a half ago and gotten a solid return for it. And now look what they're doing. So 
it was frustrating in that sense, but it's frustrating in a different sense now because I'm I'm not sure that the Cardinals are that organization at this point that they once were that they're the team everyone wants to trade with because of the uh, the the depth of talent particularly on the pitching side but also you know within the ranks of those outfielders that we've seen go on and be successful in other places they just don't have that restocked at this point so lots of layers to the frustration i think <laughs> Again, back to the idea that when the guy at the very top says, we're just trying to get to the end of the year, it's a little hard to, um, you know, try to suggest that there's anything more to it than they are already looking past this season as a, a possible run for something exciting and really just in a position to physically, as you said, have Guys with arms who can throw things <laughs> to get them to the end of it. Yeah, I, I mean, and that's and that's fair. And you know, with the the teardown of the, the Cubs, with um, the Pirates being the Pirates, you know, the Cardinals are going to be fairly comfortable at finishing in third place. And with a little bit of luck and a little bit of problems in Cincinnati, you know, you may even get second, which is. I mean, for some teams, that's really good, right? I mean, there's some teams that would be really excited about a second place finish, Pittsburgh being one of them. But <laughs> that's when, with the excitement over trading for Nolan Arenado in January, I don't think anybody expected to be sitting at 500 at the beginning of yeah. August. Um, well, there's a lot of things that have gone into that, and that's somewhat baseball. But, and you could argue that they're in good shape for next year, even. But, you know, we got to get through this year first. And um, that's that's the frustrating thing. You're right. I, I mean, I wrote about it this morning about the fact that there are a lot of pieces of this organization that have been in place for a long, long time. Um, yeah. You know, John Moselock has been in the, in the organization since 96. Mike Schilt has pretty much always been in the organization. Um you know, Michael Gersh has never walked anywhere else. He's been around for 10 or 15 years now. Uh, you know, there is, there comes a point where maybe you'd need that extra voice, that fresh blood, that somebody that can say, yes, I know we don't trade our number one prospect for something, but, you know, let's at least argue this case. Let's right. at least think about this kind of stuff. Because I feel like, the organization is getting to that point where everybody, even if they're trying to make a case against it, they can't make the best case because they're all kind of thinking the same way. And we talked about that when it was clear that the Mike Matheny era was going to come to an end. Now, mm -hmm. that may have happened more unceremoniously than we thought when we were talking about it. But even in that sort of half season before Mike Schilt was named the official, you know, for real manager, not just the interim manager. We talked about that as great as Mike Schilt is, as much as he has absorbed every bit of Cardinals culture and legacy and history and tradition. And he is kind of the living, breathing uh, next generation version of that. I think in a lot of ways, um, with the way that he respects the past and wants to bring it to the present. That's all good and well. Um, but I think that we've talked a lot about the fact that baseball is different than it was 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. 
And the way that you succeed in the game is a bit different. Uh, not, you know, fundamentally. Look, the, the game is still the same premise, the same fundamentals that it was a very long time ago. But when it, any voice, even if it's saying the right things, can get a little stale. And when they're all the same voices <laughs> saying the same things, when you're so in sync... Um, you know, you lose a little bit of that ability to 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 sharpen each other, to test each other, to challenge each other, and and make each other better. And you know, you expect that. We we talk about it as friendly competition with players on the field, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know that that same structure exists in sort of the front office or, or management type roles where it's still that kind of friendly competition of you know, <laughs> I want to make sure that I at least make the most. Uh, impressive argument for my point that I that I argue my case or present my suggestion well because I think that it's what's going to push us forward if everyone's always saying the same thing it can get again a little stale in terms of how the process works and what the motivation is behind it in a lot of ways it's like you know if you if you eat the same thing every single day for breakfast all the time, it might be comfortable because it's your routine. It might be something that you think you like because you've eaten it every morning for so long, but it also might not be particularly interesting or enjoyable or special (laughs) because you do it every day and you eventually do it without thinking about it. There's some feeling that that's what's happening and that has been happening for quite a while now within this organization is that they're so comfortable with the way things were, the way things have been, the way they've done things before that there's, I don't know if it's even as much resistance to doing something different as it is. There's just no, there's no motivation to do anything different because everyone seems to think that they're doing things the right way. And we're we're making some large assumptions yeah. when when we say that about the stuff that goes on behind closed doors but there is a feeling of things being and I know I've used this word now the third time I don't know a better word <laughs> <laughs> but stale and stagnant in just kind of a contentedness in what's always been good enough and we've talked about that before how do you define good enough is it being a potential postseason contender at the all-star break or is it winning a world series you know what's good enough and i I don't know that there's anyone challenging that team-wide definition of good enough to push them out of their comfort zone and they're comfortable where they're at they're comfortable with the way they spend they're comfortable with the way that they recruit with the way that they draft with the way that they develop and comfortable at this point has led them to a 500 season, which I don't know that anyone's going to say that that fits their definition of good enough, but it's certainly not what the fans are looking for. And I don't imagine it's what Nolan Arnato's looking for long-term either. No, I don't imagine so. And, you know, again, the front office can point to the injuries, especially to injuries to, to Michaelis and Flaherty, although he kind of should have seen Michaelis is coming. <laughs> um, and, you know, that that is something that is difficult. I mean, even if you had good depth, you're not going to be able to replace a Jack Flaherty that easily. Right. You know, that's just, just going to have issues there. But, but yeah, I think that 
you know, we talk a lot in different parts of, of life about diversity and sometimes you just need that extra, that, you know, that guy that's coming from a different organization that says, this is my background. This is how we have done this, you know, and then you can talk about, doesn't mean that they're right. Doesn't mean that you need to get away from right. the cardinal way, if you will, but at least have that idea, have that, you know, thought process of, you know, maybe approaching things a little differently. Um, to get back, you, you were talking about the depth of the organization and you're right. I mean, the Cardinal said after the fact that they weren't going to give up any of their top, apparently top five prospects, um, which is, it's not too surprising. I mean, you've got guys like Matthew Libertor and, and Nolan Gorman who could make an impact at your team next year. Um, you've got guys like Jordan Walker who has been just, you know, amazing this year and things of that nature. And most likely given where the Cardinals are at, you know, you could have added Max Scherzer and Trey Turner and still not made the playoffs, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, it's not a situation where they're a game out or they're a team that's looking to make that, you know, really has a significant chance of winning the World Series. So you could, you could see that. Still wish that there would have been something. You know, I look at the Twins, you know, the Cardinals got Hap from the Twins, but, you know, Michael Panetta pitched against them today and, I mean, I don't. I mean, I think he's a free agent at the end of the year. I can't imagine that the the Twins were asking for, you know, a top prospect for him. Maybe they were, and maybe that's why he's still a Twin instead of getting traded. Um, but it just feels like, you know, they could have brought in somebody that wasn't almost Adam at Wainwright's age to <laughs> to do this. You know, and maybe not. I mean, and we don't know what the prices were. They did say they had a, a deal that fell through at the last minute, mm -hmm. you know, we don't know what that was for. Um, we don't, but not a position player. Evidently. It didn't seem to have been, no. um, you know, they did apparently check in on Trevor story. Um, I would have thought that maybe they would have tried the old sign and sign and sell type of thing, mm -hmm. especially with Nolan Arnauto sitting right next to him uh, for two months, but they didn't want to go that route. That's fine. Um, it, it is a little bit of a, a caveat for this organization. This I don't know what else they could have done <laughs> right now. It's just that what they did do was pretty uninspiring. And to some degree, they've kind of brought this on themselves. Well, and to be fair, uh, no one's paying us lots of money to decide what they should have done. No. Um, those true. who are getting paid to decide what they could have done to make this organization better are the ones that probably fairly have higher expectations of being able to outthink us. Because <laughs> if we could outthink them, we'd probably be in one of those offices at this point or doing something uh, maybe even more valuable with our, <laughs> with our uh, problem solving skills at, at that level. I, I don't know. But my point is one, maybe there was not anything else they could have done Two, I think what gets frustrating is seeing the same approach applied every time mm -hmm. with the same result that's almost less and less interesting every time they try it. And while I understand the injury claim, because it's very real, I mean, you look at teams that have an entire rotation on the IL at the same time, <laughs> you would imagine they're going to be struggling right. in, in multiple facets of the game. And that's just 
you know, the starting rotation guys that were the, that were on the IL. And of course that includes someone like Dakota Hudson, who's been out the whole time, not really a factor in this season as they made their preparations anyway, but it just furthers the point that they were, they were without all of the pieces that they organizationally should have had access to. And I understand that. And not to, you know, go back to the same story all over again, but we've watched for a couple of years now as the Brewers in particular have kind of changed the the way, I, I guess, NL Central teams look at trades that can be made just sort of out of the blue mm-hmm. because you realize, hey, actually, this isn't working for us or this guy went down. We're going to be uh, a man short and there's somebody else out there on a team that has no intentions of contending this season that we can flip something for. And it's not going to cost anything extraordinary, but it is going to serve the purpose that we have right now. Now to do that would be so far from the ordinary, from what the Cardinals have done, because it would mean thinking about the moment more than about the future. And that's not the way the Cardinals do business. Mm -hmm. That's not the way they have done business in all of the time that I have followed them. And while I think there is some wisdom in that, especially in a market where the Cardinals are, I think, I think you put yourself in a very small box when everything has to check off all the boxes for the future before you think about how it fits now or before you make a decision for what fits now. And, when the Cardinals push all this out till the very last minute of the the trading season, if you will, before that deadline, I, I don't I don't understand what the reason for that is. They knew they had a need for pitching two months ago. They knew that when Jack Flaherty went down, an oblique issue is not something that you're going to come back from quickly. They knew that Miles Michaelis was not something they were going to come back from quickly if he ends up being successful at all, and we don't even know that at this point. So it's not as if these needs were only pressing moments before the trade deadline, so they could not have pursued anything earlier than that. It's that they chose not to pursue anything more significant for fear or hesitation or, you know, principle based on the idea of not harming the future, which is great in theory, but you're going to lose the attention of your fan base. You're going to lose the trust of your players. You're going to create a scenario where guys like Nolan Arnato and Paul Goldschmidt don't want to stay in St. Louis because <laughs> they don't have the eternity of the future <laughs> to play with. Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright probably don't really care about what the Cardinals look like five years from now in the way that they care about what this team does right now. And it's going to create this cycle, or maybe it has already created this cycle, of kind of a mediocre now with the possibility of an above-average future that's totally unpredictable and probably not going to happen anyway. And I don't know why that's the the the, the idea, the the principle, the focus, the theory, whatever you want to call it, the method by which this organization continues to try to build a team. Um, Cause it's not really working out <laughs> and maybe it'll work out five years from now, but it certainly isn't doing them any good in the moment. Yeah. On the flip side of that, I mean, it, it really boils down to what do you want out of your team? Do you want 
the Cubs where they won the world series, but now here we are, you know, what, five years from that. And they have literally, you know, stripped out every bit and piece of that. <laughs> or do you want a team like the Cardinals, which has not necessarily hit those highs and especially as of late has not. Um, and, and you, I think you could say that this doesn't have to be one or the other. You'd like to go back to the Cardinals as they were about, you know, beginning of the 2010s um, or so. Um, but at least have been able to, you know, put together a consistently good product, even if it's not hit the highs. You know, it's, you know, back back when Boston was, you know, winning the World Series and then coming in last, and then winning the World Series mm-hmm. and then coming in last. I mean, it, it really just depends. I mean, because there are fans that would rather that they'd rather have right. those highs, and they'll deal with the lows when they come. Um, that's just not the way the Cardinals have done business for quite some time, and there's a reason that they've been as successful as they have. So. Um, well, look, I don't think Cardinals fans would tolerate that either. Right. And I, that's why I think it is a very strange predicament because Cardinals fans have the extraordinary luxury of the recent past. Mm-hmm. And however far back you want to take that, I know like the nineties weren't all that great. (laughs) Um, But however far back you want to take that or whatever decade you want to skip in the meantime, Cardinals fans that are, you know, alive and watching baseball today have the extreme luxury of a lot of winning teams, not just winning world series because those, those come and go right. Mm -hmm. My, in in my lifetime, there've been two and that's a lot for, for some fans to have experienced with their team, but winning in the sense that they're always in the mix, always in the conversation, always respected in the league as a team that, you know, is just going to be there. And we've used the term spoiled before for Cardinals fans, but there is an expectation that really was created by the organization that said, no, 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 this is who we want to be because this is what our legacy is. This is what our history is, you know, to, to have as many world titles as they do to have led in that category in the national league for as long as they have. And to have the history that is so rich there in terms of baseball success that, that's what they built up. That's what they wanted. That's what the expectation is. It's built into the fabric of who Cardinals fans are. And that's a blessing and a curse because you don't have the opportunity to kind of do what the Cubs have done and, and, and get away with it. Mm-hmm. in St. Louis. I don't think that would fly not in, in the way that, you know, people consume baseball today. So you do have to be a little more careful. You do have to be a a little less extreme and certainly more risk averse in order to do that. But when it's not working, when, and and I guess, again, it goes back to the definition of working. What does it mean? (laughs) What does it mean that it's working? Does it mean that you uh, can be an average team or better? Or is working, you know, putting yourself in a position to win a championship. And I think for a lot of fans, that's the next step is not just being able to keep up with any team on a given night, but also probably lose to any team on a given night. It's to be the team that everyone else goes, okay, we're going to circle this series on our schedule because they're going to play us tough. And the Cardinals haven't been that team in a long time. So if the the method, if the approach is not creating that kind of buzz, and let's be very real, stranger things have happened than if the Cardinals went on a run 
and made it to the postseason this year. And someone like John Lester <laughs> became this season's Jeff Weaver. Uh, Jeff, Jeff Weaver, right? I was going to say Supon, but, you know, same team. <laughs> um, somebody that you're like, what? How did that happen? It, it happens in baseball all the time. But I don't know that that's the stroke of luck that you want to build your entire premise of how to run a baseball team around um, unless you just think you're really lucky. And maybe they will be, but it would be far more compelling from an outside perspective if they looked like they were trying to change the trend of being more and more mediocre as they go along, despite collecting players like Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt, um, you know, to, to sort of get comfortable with the idea of, well, this is good enough is not really falling in line with that expectation that has been established for a long time. And maybe that's unfair. Maybe it's spoiled. Maybe it's asking too much, but it's what they sort of set up as the expectation for themselves. And we, we just know what they tell us, right? So we're just following, <laughs> following along with what they say they want. And, um, you know, those results are a little harder to come by. And uh, coming up with some sort of magic bullet, as John Mazalek likes to say, is is not easy. But, again, they're they're not paying me for that. So <laughs> No, no, they're not. And, uh, you know, again, it's going to be – and I want – not tonight. I want to do sometime soon. I want to try to get into this. Uh, you know, we've talked about, you know, what comes next. You know, what, this, this offseason, they can – they're going to have a lot of money coming off the books. They can do such and such and so-and-so. But I'm not really sure what that direction is going to be either, just because the people that are on this roster already and things of that nature. But that's another story for another time. And I time. think just to just to throw this out there for that conversation when we have it, it's going to co- it's going to hurt a little bit to get there. And you know, we talked about it with with Colton Wong. I knew it was coming. I knew it wasn't. I wasn't going to enjoy it. I knew that I was going to think the team probably got worse by letting Colton Wong go somewhere else. But in order to change something in a way that they haven't in a very long time, they're going to have to do some things that are very uncomfortable and that are very out of character. And we can talk about this when we have that larger conversation. But I think as far as the fan base goes, they have to brace themselves a little bit for not every fan favorite getting re-signed <laughs> all the time if you want some turnover that eliminates that sort of stagnant feeling that continues to grow. Yeah, which if they had figured this out a couple of years ago, then they would have had a little extra money because they wouldn't have signed Matt Carpenter that extension before they needed to. <laughs> right. Or they wouldn't have perhaps signed Miles Michaelis to the extension that he was supposed to. You know, again, sometimes as we get down to it, it's not that the Cardinals don't spend money. They just don't spend it in the right places, it feels mm-hmm. like. But um, anyway, and speaking of the fan race, it has to be noted, today's attendance under 30,000 in Bush Stadium on a August day that was, you know, well under 100 degrees. So uh, I think it was um, 82 degrees at first pitch um, in, in Bush Stadium. You know, it's uh, it's been a big weekend with Ted Simmons getting uh, inducted, getting a statue, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, giveaways. Some, you know, some are coming to an end. Usually, that's a forty thousand number. Yeah. And, and again, and granted, you know, the Delta variant. There's people that are still hesitant to go out. They've just increased. You know, what St. Louis just put their mask mandate back in, where you're mm-hmm. supposed to wear a mask. 
at least inside the ballpark when you're sitting in your seats. You don't have to, I don't think. Yeah. And so there's a lot of that. But after a year, you know, what what were we saying this time last year, right? When the fans can get back in the stands, it's going to be packed. It's going to, everybody's yeah. going to go because they've missed a year. And now we're at this point and that's got to be some factor of less than, you know, enthusiastic about this team and about the last four or five teams. Again, you're right. You shouldn't be feeling this way when you go out and add a Paul Goldschmidt and when you go out and add a Nolan Arenado and, you know, you you should want to go see those guys, at least if nothing else. And, and obviously we have seen Nolan Arenado can put on a display at any time. So it's, it's definitely worth being there for. But, you know, We've always felt like I've always felt like the only thing that's really going to get attention. I mean, that, they're going to have to focus mm-hmm. on maybe changing some stuff. It's when they don't hit that, you know, three million, three point two million uh, goal that they always do. And you know, I'm sure that goal is lower this year because of you know not having full capacity for a while. But they're probably not going to hit whatever their goal they had, and they're yeah. going to have to take a look in the mirror and decide what they want to do to you know make this a more appealing product again. Well, look, the Cardinals won more games than they lost this week, and all we're talking about is the fact that they're boring and uninspiring. (laughs) So I think that kind of tells you where they're at in terms of the public perception of their product. Uh, The alliteration was bonus there, didn't really try to do that, but you you got it anyway. Professional Um, here. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But I do think that it matters. And, you know, as much as we talked about the the Bryce Harper offseason, right? Mm-hmm. Where we talked mm-hmm. about, hey, you sign a guy like that, people will come and watch him. I think there's some level of that with Nolan Arenado, but I think the the novelty still wears off if there's nothing else that's really compelling happening. And I think, you know, an Adam Wainwright start with Yadier Molina behind the plate, uh, them, you know, toppling records or, or reaching new levels on all-time list that kind of thing is exciting from kind of an outside uh in the moment hey that's kind of cool we don't know how much longer this is going to last way but it's not necessarily the thing that's like hey you got to be there to see this because you don't know when something amazing is going to happen and it just doesn't have that same pull i've honestly had a hard time remembering some days <laughs> to turn on the game in part. Cause I think we got used to not having it last year yeah. and in part because I got used to not having access to it when <laughs> Valley sports couldn't figure out how to get me the channel this spring. Um, but also because it's just not that exciting when I do get a chance to watch and whether they win or lose, to be completely honest, even the games that they win aren't always that interesting from a baseball perspective. So the fans not being in the ballpark is probably multifaceted in what the reason for that is. But I do think it's hard to look beyond the fact that I hear from, you know, the the Cardinals bubble (laughs) that I'm part of. That's basically like, yeah, I just, they're not that fun right now. And going to a baseball game is still kind of (laughs) expensive and a lot of people don't have the same kind of expendable money that they did you know two years ago when they could go to games and it's maybe not worth the the cost and the trouble and the anxiety of being around people with the pandemic still a factor to consider and the team not really that interesting 
So it all comes together to create a scenario where you're looking at the stadium in August and going, I have never seen it this empty in the middle of a baseball season before that wasn't shut down to fans because of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's very interesting to see what they're going to do and if, and what, if they realize what they're going to, what they need to do. And, you know, I'm still waiting to see if they have a blogger day this year. I don't, don't think they will, but <laughs> they if, don't want to know what we have to if say. If they do, I think <laughs> it would be some very interesting questions to be asked. I do believe. Um, before we wrap it up for tonight, um, we should note, you know, today history, Yadier Molina passed Albert Pujols for fourth all time in Cardinal history uh, for hits. You know, when you start talking about, you know, some organizations fourth all time, any, I think any organization fourth all time is, is something. When you think about the Cardinals and their long history and lots of, you know, Hall of Fame players and all that kind of stuff that they've had for it to go, you know, um, Stan Usual, Lou Brock, Roger Hornsby, Yadier Molina, and then Albert Pujols and Ina Slaughter. I mean, when you can put Yadier Molina in that group, it's, I mean, if, if there was anybody that doubted Yadier Molina as a Hall of Fame catcher, I don't really know how they could do that anymore. Well, look, there's, we, we can all make the argument that, yeah, but Yadier, uh, uh, Albert did that in, you know, how many years he was with the Cardinals, yeah, right? 11, yeah. And, and in 11 years, he did what has taken Yadier Molina so many more years, whatever it is, fine. But I think there's something very significant about the longevity of a player, not just their skill set, right? That's why guys like, um, you know, guys that come up and have one single season that you're like, oh, man, this guy's going to make a difference. He's going to be an impact player. And then they disappear and you never hear from them again is not all that impressive because putting together one good season, one impressive season is fine, but it happens all the time. But to put together so many consecutive seasons where you have that kind of success, especially coming from someone who was not there for his offensive prowess, right? Yadier Molina was not brought to the major leagues under the impression that he was going to kind of anchor a lineup anywhere. He was the the defensive catcher that was going to be great with the pitching staff and keep the running game under control and all that's been true. And I know as, as much as we may have uh, cr- criticized Yadier Molina a couple weeks ago for some less than stellar moments in games defensively, the fact that he's on that list, the fact that he's behind some of those legendary names not only speaks to the way he was able to improve himself as a hitter over the years, but just the longevity of his career and the fact that he's been able to maintain a level of success for for longer than some careers existed, many, most careers even mm-hmm. exist at all, much less at a level of success that he's been able to find. So, you know, for whatever can be said about Yadier Molina playing too much or maybe he's he's lost a, a bit of his finesse defensively or he can sometimes hit a cold streak and be a liability in the lineup look sure all those things can be said at one point or another of a lot of players who are really great at what they do but he's been there and been so successful for so long that he's one of the one of those legends now he's he's a living legend at that because he's moved himself into that mix with the dedicated and consistent performance that we see from him year in and year out so it's 
it's wild when people kind of go out of their way to knock down Yadier Molina and try to make him not be as great as he is. I also think that we tend to make a lot of um, <laughs> grandiose statements about him because of the sort of folk hero nature that comes with being that guy in St. Louis. But he's been so good at what he does and so good at something that is so much harder than we give it credit for most of the time because we watch guys that make it look relatively easy. And, um, you know, I could, I could say much more about all the things that Yadier Molina has meant to the organization, but I think that list kind of speaks for itself, not just because, Oh, it's a lot of hits, but because it's pretty exclusive company and you don't get to that point on a list like that you know, from some of the intangibles that are often talked about with him, that's like, that's a counting stat. That's it. And he's one of the best of the best in the organization's history, which is pretty cool. Um, Yeah, it is. And, you know, I do wonder, you know, we, we did, we mentioned Ted Simmons got his statue, got his number retired this weekend. Ted Simmons has never had that connection to me. He came before idea before I started watching baseball he was gone from the Cardinals before I, you know, really just a name that I knew. But, but for the people that watched him, you know, there is that emotional connection. They were really excited about him, you know, getting into the Hall of Fame. It felt like it was past due. It, it was. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I don't know. I, I feel like Yachty's going to even, even 20, 30 years from now when people are you know, younger people that are starting to come around of watching the Cardinals and stuff, they're, they're going to have that connection to Yachty probably, but maybe not. But even if they don't, I think we'll know, you know, there'll be enough out there. People will, will understand Yachty to some degree, but some degree you just had to be here too. Yeah. So yeah, um, I agree. It, it's going to be, it'll be interesting to see how, the, how, how, how these guys that we have had that connection to, I mean, Albert's different. Albert is obvious. That ever you know everybody's going to know Albert because he's one of the best players to ever play, you know, in, in baseball. But you know, Yachty, um, Adam Wainwright, even Chris Carpenter. I mean, Chris Carpenter obviously has a huge connection for us. You know, twenty years from now, are, are people going to kind of wonder about that? But um, yeah, when you when you could put your name in that group, uh, it, it makes a lot less of well, you know, what was so great about him versus. Oh, well, he was, he was at least played the game a long time and played it at a level that allowed him to be uh, one of the greatest of all time in the, in the history of the Cardinals. So, you know, to be able to get to that, like you said, to get those, you know, tangibles instead of the intangibles is, mm-hmm. is a great thing for him. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, um, Cardinals have a August of, sub 500 teams for the most part. So hopefully we will have a lot of optimistic shows. Um, well, or semi-optimistic shows um, <laughs> coming forward. Tara and I should be back with you next week to talk about uh, the Braves and the Royals as the Cardinals will take on those two teams this week. So until then, for Tara, I'm Daniel. Good night. Hey, Cardinals fans. Thanks for listening to this week's show. If you liked what you heard, you can find us on iTunes. Just search Gateway to Baseball Heaven under Podcasts and click subscribe. While you're there, feel free to give us five of those little gold stars or even a quick review. And tune in next time as we break down another week in Baseball Heaven.